Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning, church. The Lord is risen. Sweet. And so this morning, um, how can we not be excited? It's Easter, and so it, it is a wonderful day. Um, I did pass out, not pass out, um, Jacob passed out, um, some, some forms for you to go through if you want to, to follow along with the sermon. If you didn't get one, they're in the back table. And I found, I think, two pens, and so if you need a pen, I think there's two more pens that are available um, for you. And so, yes, it's a wonderful day. I love Easter, I love Jesus, I love you guys, so excited to be here with you, but there's one thing that I truly hate, and I don't think you guys know this about me, is I hate going to the cleaners. I know, it's weird, it's weird, and so I only go once a year, I don't do it right, like I just let dirty clothes sit for a year, and I go with a pile to the cleaners, I don't like doing this. And so I'll give my shirts, uh, uh, my jerseys to the cleaners, and they'll give me a little ticket, right? little ticket, to, 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 I mean, tiny, and you have to, you have to hold on to this to verify your purchase. And so four or five days, really, like five days, I'm stressed out, right? Because I cannot, I cannot lose this ticket. I, I will wake up in a cold sweat in the middle of the night, like, where, where's my ticket? Where's my ticket? And, and I'll go through my wallet and find it and... And breathe a sigh of relief. Like, okay, I can get my clothes back. Cool. You know, but without that ticket, I don't have the proof, right, that, that this stuff belongs to me. And so I cling to that ticket, to that purchase. And so this morning, you know, Easter, as we talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are talking about a purchase, right? Jesus has purchased us with his blood, He's purchased us with his blood. And now I've heard it said, and I believe this is a, a, a Puritan, in, uh, Puritan proverb, which is, if the cross is the purchase, the resurrection is the receipt. If the cross is the purchase, the resurrection is the receipt. And so this morning, I really want to look at um, the resurrection. And yes, we, we love the cross and we cling to the cross, but I also want us to see the value and the necessity, the importance of the resurrection to the gospel. Um, as we will see this morning, there is no gospel without the resurrection. And so, uh, this morning, I'll give you a second to turn there. We're going to be out of John. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So if you want to find 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we'll jump around a little bit within that chapter. And our sermon is called, Hold Fast to the Resurrection of Jesus. Let me pray for us before we get started. Heavenly Father, thank you for Easter. Oh, what an awesome day, Lord, that, that we celebrate uh, the resurrection of your Son, um, just the proof of this transaction, Lord, of the cross and our salvation, Lord, that, Lord, that we know because of the resurrection, that we can believe everything that Jesus said, all of the promises, including his, his body being torn down and, and resurrected three days later. I mean, if that's true, 
then it's all true, Lord God. And so may we see that this morning. And if somebody doesn't already believe and receive and stand in that knowledge, may this morning be the morning where they receive your gospel, Lord. And be honored, Lord, and take joy in our worship and time with you. Amen. So Jesus Christ died for our sins, right? Jesus Christ died for our sins is not the gospel. It is absolutely not the gospel. I mean, we love the cross, we preach the cross, right? We have to have the cross, but that is only one half of the gospel. And of course, because it's Easter, we're going to talk about the resurrection and how it relates to the gospel And so we're going to start by talking about the relationship between the resurrection and the gospel. And so, is the resurrection important to the gospel? Well, it depends. What's the gospel? Right? That's what we need to know. And so let's start by looking at 1 Corinthians um, Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4. And this is Paul writing to believers. They already believe, right? And this is in the city of Corinth. And Paul writes, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according, in accordance with the Scriptures. And so this is the gospel that Paul preaches, right? There's two parts to it. There is the life and death and burial of Jesus, and there's also his resurrection from the dead, from the grave. And for him, he repeats that. You can't separate these two facts, and so what, what I really dig about what Paul does here is he takes a different approach to understanding the resurrection and the gospel. And he says, here, let me put it this way. Let's pull the, the resurrection out of the gospel and see where it lands. And so we're going to go through this. What if? What if the resurrection never happened? Well, verse 14 says, And if Christ has not been raised then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain, which means our faith is pointless. And you could, you could fill that in. Our faith is pointless. It has no benefits. Like there's no reason to be here. We are absolutely wasting our time. We can't trust in the promises of Jesus. You know, he said he was going to come back, right, three days later. And if he didn't come back, then you have to question everything he said, right? Verse 15 if we are, even, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. And this is horrible because this would make us hopeless heretics, right? So now we are hopeless heretics if the resurrection isn't true. We are lying about God. Like we were straight up lying about God, which is heresy. We're also lying to ourselves, Like, we're perpetuating a lie. We are lying to ourselves as well. Verse 17, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. And so we still bear the weight of our sins. 
and the guilt of our sins, and we are still in our sins. Now, for a long time, I used to believe that the resurrection maybe wasn't as important as the cross because at the cross, our sins are forgiven. And so, you know, maybe we could dispute the resurrection because at least our sins are forgiven. But that's not what Paul says here. Paul says without the resurrection, there's no proof, right? The, the resurrection shows the transaction is complete. Everything went according to plan. Without the resurrection, our, our sins are not forgiven at the cross. And so we would still be in sin. Verse 18, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. So we have no resurrection. We have no resurrection. We have no hope. And Paul goes on later in verse 32 to say, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. If there's no resurrection, guys, what are you doing here? go do something better, right? Don't, why are you going to mess around with this church stuff? If there's no resurrection, please go. Don't listen to my preaching. Don't, just go do something else because this is all the time you've got. Don't waste it. In verse 19, if, if, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. I remember R.C. Sproul, he had a great sermon about this, about Christians and the fact that we're so often hated. And his plea was to people, don't hate us, pity us. Have pity on us. Like we are a ridiculous lot, right, of people for what we believe if it's not true. If the resurrection isn't true, we are wasting our time. We are lying about God. We are stuck in our sins and we have no hope. We are pitiful. Right? I mean, we are. <clears throat> and so that's why we see the importance of the resurrection to the gospel, right? If you take it out, it just falls apart. Like, there, there is no more gospel. Now, thankfully, Paul changes direction in this chapter after depressing everybody, right, with, with this list of things. He says in verses 20 through 23, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by man came death, by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So Paul is saying the resurrection is true right? He is risen. This is great news. We don't have to worry about all that, that other stuff anymore. Even though through Adam we were destined to live and to die, through Christ, if, if you are in Christ, you live and you don't die. But Paul says you fall asleep, and so our spirit goes with God, but our physical bodies go into sleep. And then when Christ comes back in the age to come, we're going to get brand new bodies, which, which I... I'm very excited about. Please, new body, right? <laughs> yep, I know I'm not alone. <clears throat> and so there is no gospel without the resurrection, which leads to another very important question. And Paul's already on top of it because we know this is, how, this is how Paul thinks. He already knows that you're going to ask, well, how can we believe in the resurrection? Why should we believe in the resurrection? And so... <clears throat> We're going to look at the evidence of the resurrection 
in Paul's apologetic. Uh, what we're not going to do this morning is go over every way that it's been, like the resurrection has been proven, right? That's more of a community group, maybe Bible study topic that would take us a long time. And there has been all sorts of books and, and essays and documentaries about this. There's plenty to look at, but rather than do that, I want to stay in this text, and I want to stay in Paul's arguments. And so Paul has three ways that he's going to argue that the resurrection is true, that you should believe in it. And we find the first one in verses 3 and 4. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And so did you catch that? Twice, Paul says, according to Scripture. According to Scripture. And so why, 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 why is this key? Why is he highlighting this? Because Paul is saying you have to look at the prophetic element, right? the proof of prophecy. This is unique, and so we have to look at this. In the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, over 300, I think it's maybe 325, references to the Old Testament are fulfilled, like specifically fulfilled. And, and this sets us apart from every other faith that for thousands of years, people like prophesied, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. And then it all happens. There's nothing else like it. I think the problem in our day, and I'm guilty of this as well, is that when we talk about apologetics, the first place we go is science. Okay, Paul did not have that advantage. We have that advantage. Like science, we can use science easily to prove God, you know, and the archaeology, you know, to prove that, that the Bible is true. Paul didn't have that advantage. And I think in some sense it's a weakness to us if we don't point out the prophetic element. I think this is crazier, right? The prophetic element of this proves that the resurrection is true. And so we should keep this supernatural element. <clears throat> so let me read for you Isaiah 53, 4 through 11. And it's a long, a long text, but I will, I will read it to us. Remember, this is written 700 years before Jesus comes, before the Gospels. Surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He, he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. 
Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. That's written 700 years before Jesus comes. And doesn't that just sound like a play-by-play of the Gospels? It sounds like, you know, like, like Matthew is writing this, like he's seeing this. But this is Isaiah seeing all this play out way ahead of time. Not only in the specific manner of death, which are, there's many references just to the way he died, but also notice, notice the theology and, and the transaction here, where it says, many shall be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. And so, it's not just a guy dying and coming back from the dead. But Jesus says, Jesus is counting this. This is the way this is going to work. This is the transaction, right? We're getting all the benefits, all the righteousness of Jesus, and he's becoming our sin on that cross. And again, there, there's many verses like this. Psalm twenty-two, sixteen: For dogs encompass me, and they have pierced my hands and feet. And so it's not just that Jesus had to die, right? He couldn't have a heart attack. He couldn't get hit by whatever wagon they were pulling, right? He had to get pierced. In order for the prophecy to work, he has to die a specific certain way. And then Paul also goes on to say of the resurrection, also has to be according to Scripture. And so we see that we've already heard Hosea 6.2. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. As we proved this morning, right, that he's resurrected, 2,000 years later, we're living before him. Or Psalm 1610, for you who will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. And this is written by David. But what does that have to do with anything? What does it matter that David wrote this? Well, let's listen to what Peter has to say in Acts chapter 2, verses 29 through 31. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption." Right? And so David was a prophet. You know, even Jesus references Jonah, right? And so Jonah being in, in the fish for three days, you know, that, that's a prophetic pointing to Christ. And so Jesus did die for our sins and was resurrected, but we must remember that it was done so in according to Scripture. Like that, that is important. Paul is saying this is one of the greatest apologetics of our faith, the element of prophecy. Nobody can refute it. Which leads to Paul's second point. And this may seem redundant at first, but number two is that Jesus was buried. Jesus was buried. Why mention that? Because you already mentioned that he died. So what's Paul's game here? Well, here's the deal. Many people have already seen Jesus after, after the cross. And so now... People have to have to reason why this is. And so let's say you don't believe in prophecy. You don't believe that Jesus was God, but now you have to come up with an explanation. 
okay, we just saw Jesus up the street. So we need to reformulate how we think about all this. And that's why Paul is mentioning that he was buried. Like he wasn't just dead. Like he was buried. He was, he was embalmed, right? I mean, he was wrapped, everything. Like the whole process was gone through to prepare his body. You know, it, it, his tomb is, is sealed, right? And it's guarded. And so that's to say he's, he's dead. And so why bring this up? Well, in Matthew 28, 13, some of the Jews said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And so I don't know. Like, I, I don't know if anybody actually believed this. I think you have to want to believe that these disciples, like, just took out these Roman guards, which are just, like, historically studs, awesome. Like, they just took them out, unsealed the tomb, and rolled away the stone. And so you really have to want to believe something like that happened. And there's several views, even today, that are circulating to disprove the resurrection. And so the first one on your list you could put um, was the stolen body theory, or the body was stolen. So that, that's the first thing that is still circulated among Jews to this day. <clears throat> Which only kind of works because it explains the empty tomb. Okay, that's why the tomb is empty. But it doesn't explain why we saw Jesus up the street. Right? So it, it's not a good argument. <clears throat> Two, plot theory. This is the plot theory. <clears throat> so basically, um, Jesus took something, some sort of uh, elixir, poison, something that makes him look dead for three days. And then three days later, he wakes up, unseals the, 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 the grave, moves the stone, takes out the guards. And so it, it, maybe you're saying to yourself, that sounds exactly like Romeo and Juliet. Right, and that's why I make fun of it. I call that the Romeo and Juliet theory. Like, okay, that, that didn't happen either. <clears throat> Next is the swoon theory. This is the swoon theory. And this is where, where Muslims would land today. And a lot of people, uh, even like scientific types, would land today. And that's that Jesus never died. He just looked dead. He was just so, I mean, we've been there. We've been so tired, you know, that, that we looked dead. And <clears throat> apparently all in this view, Jesus just needed rest. And so three days rest is key. So if you're ever beaten to a pulp, right, and you have your lungs punctured, and you stop breathing, right? And so, and then when the Romans come by, they don't even break your bones because they say, no, don't waste the energy, they're dead. So after, you know, you don't breathe anymore, all you need is three days rest. Then you come back to life, break the seal, roll away the stone, take out the guards. So if you want to believe the swoon theory, <clears throat> again, I think it takes more faith, um, which like this last one, is the hallucination theory, which still, which still circulates. Don't ask me to spell that. Hallucination theory. The theory that everybody was just hallucinating when they saw Jesus. Well, there's a problem there. Like Paul um, talks about the fact that he appeared to 500 people at once. And so the argument is, well, they all, <clears throat> they all hallucinated seeing him. In which case, it is very rare, you may know, to hallucinate seeing a person. It's possible. But the fact that two people would see the same person is nearly impossible. Now, what about 500 people? 
right? It's almost like there's probably a better explanation for what happened. But to some people, no, they, they, didn't, they were hallucinating. They didn't really see that. You can't trust the eyewitness of 500 people. <clears throat> and so the reason these unreasonable theories exist, and it's good to know them, because people want to destroy the resurrection. If you get rid of the, re the resurrection, there is no gospel, right? There, there is no gospel. And so um, what they're trying to do, therefore, and all these theories, going all the way back to the Jews, is they're trying to stop Jesus from dying, right? If they can only go back in time and stop him from dying, there can't be a resurrection, right? Which, yes, is the plot of the Terminator movies, like, that, that's what they're trying to do. They're going back in time. We'll come up with anything that can prove that he didn't die because we saw him down the street. So he couldn't have possibly died and be resurrected. And this leads to Paul's third apologetic. Again, all this is just in the, in the text, in his argument, in verses 5 through 8. That he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. And so this, this is uh, witnesses of the resurrection. The witnesses of the resurrection. This is very important. So um, this is a little different. <clears throat> and so basically what Paul is saying, he's not saying, um, hey, you know, I know someone who's related to someone, you know, who's dating someone who thinks they might have saw Jesus, right? No, Paul is naming names. Like, these are the people who saw, you know, and then there's a whole group of people who saw. And so his intention here, he's not name-dropping. His intention is an invitation. He's saying, go talk to them. Like the, this list of people, you can go ask them what they saw. Ask them why they are willing to go to prison, why they are willing to be beaten, why they are willing to die over what they saw. Ask them how the resurrection completely changed their life. Go ask them. And then Paul even adds himself to that list. Of course, Paul's situation was very different but most likely, most scholars believe that Paul was very, if not active, present in all of the Gospels. Like, Paul's a stud, right? He's a rock star. Before he was a rock star of the Christian faith, he was a rock star of the Jewish faith. And so he's present, even as a young man, during multiple trials and in the plot meetings and in the beatings. And he saw, most likely saw Jesus on the cross and the tomb and was there when they decided how they were going to lie about it, and that the body was stolen. But then even he says, like, I saw this guy. That same guy who we did all that stuff to, it turns out that the body wasn't stolen, that he did die, and that he was resurrected. And this leads to our third and final point this morning, which is the implications, the implications of the resurrection now, I mean, let it be said, every time we meet, it's an implication of the resurrection. And so, I mean, every sermon you've been to is an implication. So um, our, our whole Christian faith is an implication of the resurrection. But this morning, again, wanting to be faithful to the text, let's look at what Paul says specifically 
just, just in this one passage. And there's four implications that we could see pretty clearly. And the first one is to hold, hold, hold on to the gospel in verses 1 and 2. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So hold on to the gospel. Hold on to it like it is a dry cleaning receipt. Your faith in the gospel is proof that you are part of the transaction, right? That you are part of the forgiveness of your sins and that resurrection. All that, your faith in that is the proof that you belong to that, that you're going to get that new body. You show up without that faith, you're not getting that. Right? You don't have the receipts to get that resurrection body. Like, don't let go, you know. I mean, this is true. I mean, Paul's talking about don't believe in vain. Why is he talking about that? Well, we know several people who, who Paul knew who, who confessed faith leave the faith. You know, and this one hurts. I mean, this is something I've seen in my own life where um, people who even as I was coming up, who, who shared the faith with me before I was a believer, and I came to faith through people who shared the gospel with me, those people are no longer Christians. And so, like, don't be that person. Hold on to this. Don't let it go. Don't quit. Do not be disqualified. And if you don't have that faith this morning, um, I would say don't hold on to it, but grab hold of it. Like, grab hold of it this morning. This could be yours. You could stand in this. You could stand in these promises because of the resurrection. Not just believing the evidence. And I think, again, we live in an age where the evidence is so clear to us. Where these, in, in Paul's day, there was a faith element to it. As where we can look through history, we could look through documentation and be like, oh, yeah, he was dead. Oh, yeah, like these theories are ridiculous. But don't just grasp it intellectually. Like, grab onto it with your whole self. Not just that the resurrection is true, but if the resurrection is true, Paul's arguing that also the forgiveness of your sins is true. Right? So that, that is awesome, right? <clears throat> Number two, stop. Just stop living foolishly. Stop living life like this is all we have. You know, we read in verse 32, if the dead are not, re- not yet raised, well then, hey, let us drink, for tomorrow we die. But then he goes on in verse 33. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right and do not go on sinning. Like stop. This life is not all you have. And specifically here, stop hanging out with the wrong people. You know, I, I know I'm not alone in telling my kids this. We've told our kids and our grandkids this. Don't be corrupted. Don't hang out with the wrong people. Don't do it, which is absolutely true. But also parents, adults, grandparents, stop hanging out with the wrong people. You will be corrupted. Their bad morals will corrupt you. I have seen this recently in my own life as I've, I've warned people, don't go that route, don't hang out with these people, it will change you. And sure enough, people who, who had faith and were baptized, all of a sudden 
simply don't believe in the gospel anymore. Because that's what people are going to convince you of. And, and, and there's some, something valid about their argument because they're going to tell you that it's easier to not believe in the gospel. And in a sense, that's true. In a sense, it's true for like right now and, and for the next couple of years, right, in this brief life, it may be easier to not believe in the gospel. But again, Paul's argument is like, think long term. Do not be foolish. Stop sinning. Live right. Don't hang out with the wrong people. And if you know people who aren't followers of Jesus, who are bad company, who are mean, who are always drunk, share the faith with them. Right? So don't just hang out with them. But if you are hanging out with them, sometimes we have to. We work with them. You know, there's, there's can't follow this black and white. But if you are in that situation, be the one who, who is changing them, not the other way around. And so number three is go. Go share the gospel. Go tell others about Jesus. Again in verse 34, it says, Some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. Ouch. Church, this is where we say, ouch. <laughs> Oof. That's what's great about Paul, though. I mean, after all that argument, I mean, he, he, he's sort of bringing this back and saying, how is it that you know anybody who doesn't know Jesus? How does that work exactly? You know them, but they don't know Jesus? You should be ashamed. You know, worst case scenario, maybe they reject Jesus, which we don't control, but how do they not know about Jesus if they know you? And lastly, believe. Believe in the cross. Believe in Jesus. Believe in the resurrection. All of chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians is an argument. Right? He, he's telling the, the, these people at Corinth to believe in the resurrection because they don't. Right? So you have this Greek thought, which becomes Roman thought, which is, which is prominent in Corinth, which is physical bad, spiritual good, intellectual good. In fact, there's a, a, a Corinthian proverb which says, when a man dies and the ground receives his blood, there is no resurrection. And so this is what even the church believes. And so he's, he's, he's writing to believers, and he's trying to convince these believers that there's going to be a resurrection. They think the resurrection is just spiritual. Right? And, and our spirit will be with God when we die. But he's telling them, don't discard the body part. The body's coming back. Don't celebrate that you're free from the physical body. The physical body is coming back. And it seems weird to have to try to convince believers to, to believe that. But you know, at the resurrection, everything changes, including, including death itself. In verse 55, it says, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? So the sting is removed from death. But okay, how much sting is removed from death? What does that mean? Well, three times, verses 16, 18, and 20, Paul says of believers who died, they were asleep. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, death becomes sleep. That's how much of the sting is removed. It becomes sleep, and, and that body will be woken up, glorified. Right? I, I don't like waking up in the morning, but imagine just waking up from Jesus 
waking you up in the age to come in an awesome body. I mean, I such a great thing to look forward to and, and have hope in. And so the question is, do you believe that? Do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus? And if so, do you believe in the resurrection of your body? And so this morning, celebrating Easter, this gospel of Jesus Christ, I want us to hold fast to the forgiveness of our sins at the cross. Hold on to that, but also hold fast to the resurrection of Jesus because it is the receipt for your resurrection. Let me pray for us. We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope we'll see you soon.